Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I'm Iris and I'm joining the studio today with my Tracy, who I'm showing the ropes through, along with Polly and Tracy. Hi, uh, how are you going? <laughs> I'm going okay, just a little bit tired. I'd just like to start off with um, an acknowledgement of country. We're broadcasting over the lands of the Kulin Nations. These lands have never been ceded into just sovereignty. Um, as, yeah, it's never been ceded. And I'd like to pay my respects to all elders, past, present and future. The land we're broadcasting on, Obar, is specifically the Wurundjeri and Bunurong lands. And genocide on these lands continues. Um, and I'd like to acknowledge any um, Indigenous people tuning into the show. And in terms of current things that are happening, um, the, the, the fight against big roads at Jabarong country is still ongoing. And if you check out the Jabarong Heritage um, Protection Embassy on Facebook, you can find more information there. Um, there's still new visitors going down. There's still like a crew that's maintaining that, which has been going on for like a number of months now. Um, so in terms of today's show, we're going to be talking about a lot of different issues, having a conversation about things to a discussion around community, singledom, coupledom, friendship later in the show. But first, we're going to start off with some current news. Um, what has happened in the past week in this country we call Australia? <laughs> Nothing's changed, I guess. <laughs> I know what has mm. happened. That's the question. <laughs> Except the new PM. The new PM, yeah. Like, we've, we've seen all this discussion in the media about this new figurehead while, mm-hmm. ch- like, people are dying on Nauru in these, like, concentration camps that Australia maintains. Mm, I think there's news that one of the one young boy got moved to Australia, is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. earlier in the week a 12-year-old boy got um, flown... Um, onto Australian soil um, for treatment. Um, there was quite a lot of kerfuffle around it, as I understand it, because he was refusing to go without his family because, you know, he was 12 years old, so mm. it's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they've flown um, him and the family over, but there's now a 17-year-old girl um, who is extremely traumatised and is also requiring treatment and my understanding is they're still faffing around with actually treating her properly and getting her mm. moved here. Um, as other, there's a number of other children who are severely traumatised and ill as a result as well. And so meanwhile, we've got Scott Morrison, whose history when it comes to treatment of refugees is hideous, um, our new PM. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember Cook, who, <laughs> like, it's just... Yeah, it, it's like different face, same policies. Who yeah. cares? Mm. It's totally yeah. Yeah. Mm. One one thing though I noticed was like clearly we don't actually need a government. So <laughs> I did think that during that whole kerfuffle that maybe we should just be moving to direct democracy because clearly we don't need need a government, um, and we certainly don't need them on the salaries they're on. So 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm, I'm for that. I'm for text messaging, whatever you're, you know, because we had the plebiscite, we had to vote on that. Mm-hmm. No leadership, so why not? Why not just text, text in for every issue? Yeah, why the hell do you have to vote if the prime minister is going to be, you know, changed? It's yeah. a good question. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I suspect like the political rulers won't like such like people power actually existing. Won't be threatened by that. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. Yeah. Just an idea. <laughs> mm. But in terms of some other things that have been happening, um, the other week there was a transphobic hate tour by hosted by the Australian Families Association, where Quinton Van Meter like came over from the US, and he's one of these notorious doctors that pretty much just write the junk science that justifies, um, like, attacking trans people and saying, like, trans people don't, aren't really trans when they're young and it should really just go to conversion therapy, really. Um, but that was shut down yeah, in, in WA. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was also a protest that I attended here in Melbourne and it was... Yeah, it was it was a small protest, and there were so many cops there. It was a bit ridiculous, but it was really. I was. I think it, it felt like a powerful small protest because we kind of disrupted their event a bit. And I heard some of the audio from it, and from inside, um, from one of the queer phobes who went into the gathering, and all you could hear was the chanting outside, which oh, was so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that for sharing that um, recording. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that was a yeah, and thank you to everyone who was at that protest. That looked fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of protests, actually, um, Ugandan people are protesting against the um, the government. So the current government is um, took one of the promising future president of Uganda. So he's a youth leader and he's a you know, member of parliament, and he was um, taken to prison and bitten, mm. tortured. So um, everyone's been protesting mm-hmm. all around the world. We want him released. He's called Bobby Wine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there was a protest yesterday. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What kind mm. of numbers? Was it big? Yeah, it was about 30 people, I think. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, speaking of more protests, I was at a at a protest yesterday. Um, there was a counter protest against the March for Man, which was put together by Sydney Watson and Avi Yemeni, and I guess they both of them are far right and pro Trump sort of figures. Oh, their politics can be much worse than Trump in some ways with Avi. Um, but yeah, that was pretty. Uh, it was pretty scary to see that mobilization of about 150 people for that march. And there was less counter-protesters there, so that was, yeah, that was a bit confronting yesterday. Um, Yeah, I saw there were lots of cops mm, in the city as well. Yeah. So many cops. Yeah. It's another, yeah, the cops are kind of, I think in some ways they're kind of winning the counter-protest because they're kind of using it as like a justification for more resourcing and stuff. And it's just ridiculous how many cops... How many? How much more funding cops are getting? Mm. And this Labor government is like delivered like record increases in funding for police, um, and we're seeing that playing out with protests more heavily policed as well. 
And also that communities. We've also known, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Communities. We, yeah. What? I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, I live in Footscray and there's a much higher police presence at the moment and the mm. communities around Flemsing, Flemington and Kensington as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we, we did see, like, the Taylor's Hill stuff. We saw, like, hundreds of riot cops go to a community just because, like, teenagers were fighting who happened to be black and you have hundreds of cops. So this is, like, racism of the police mm. in action. Um... So I suppose moving on to a another topic that I suppose touches on misogyny and sexual violence in um, in academia, but I suppose we could talk more generally about it in progressive spaces as well. As a lot of some people might know about Evita Ronell, a queer feminist professor, who was found to be sexually harassing a student by NYU, and a bunch of um, prominent queer academics signed. A letter that sort of apologised for that that harassment, including um, Judith Butler and a number of others, and it's provoked a lot of discussion around whether academic, like prominent academics with tenure, with like a lot of power, sort of goes ranks around each other. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk to us about that, Polly, because I know. <laughs> <laughs> I had, yeah, I took a bit of an interest in it this week. Um, yeah, there was like over 70, uh, 60 signatories to this letter, um, which was uh, basically apologism for um, Ronald's behaviour. Um, Ronald has been suspended for a year, um, but the um, grad student or the ex-grad student um, is now taking a legal case for the assault um, or for the claimed assault um, and they've got and now the legal documents have been released so we can now all read that but anyway the the kind of apologist letter was written before those legal documents were even seen before they knew anything about the case and I think what's really telling is that they just so quickly jumped to the defense of one of their colleagues without knowing the details of the case mm. and you're right it's in the context of in academia, the power dynamics are so unequal these yeah. days. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, in Australia, and we've got similar patterns in Australia. I mean, I know of countless examples of um, sexual assault and sexual harassment in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of hear about them through whispers and through our community networks because um, it's actually dangerous in most cases for victims to report it because it's going to mean lack of um, re-employment for casual academics who are employed on basically three-month basis. You know, you teach a course or you teach a subject and then three months later you don't have that job anymore and then Mm. you've got to go and beg for the next job. Um, And they're the kind of conditions that we're working under. So it's, it's completely unsurprising that sexual harassment and sexual assault occurs on a quite significant basis throughout the academy. And there was also the recent um, massive report um, where both staff and reports where staff and students have reported on the levels of harassment and assault that occur on campus. And again, it's because of the completely unequal power dynamics. And to me, the strongest message that needs to come out of this is, first of all, that our senior academics that we kind of look up to, people like Spivak and Butler and, I mean, even Zizek. I mean, Zizek I'm not surprised by, Mm. but, you know, he's a claimed Marxist, so we need to hold him to account. We need to 
hold them to account for the politics that they're claiming. Um, But in addition to that, we need to completely transform the employment conditions in the university sector. We need stability of employment. No one who is in precarious employment, whether that's in the academy or whether it's in hospitality, no matter where it is, or whether you're a cleaner or whatever it is, you we need stability of employment yeah. um, in order to be able to report on our management, our supervisors, our mentors, whoever they are. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm, and I suppose, like, more generally in terms of sexual violence outside of academia, um, like, there is the ish- like this general issue with, I suppose, a lot of really, I can't really think of too many spaces in the left that are dealing well with, like, sexual violence in terms of, I suppose, a lot of Prominent people often get protected in terms of people close ranks and support them when um, they end up assaulting like members or people in movements with lots less power. And I suppose this drives out this drives out survivors from social movements. Yeah, as well. yeah, I think there's a lot of overlaps between the discussions about what's happening in the academy and like the grad student Twitter feed yeah. and the similar stories about that occasionally come out. Unfortunately, it's only occasionally about the levels of sexual harassment and assault that occur inside the left. And we saw that several years ago in the SWP in the UK. Yeah. And then we saw the not great responses from some organisations here in Australia as well. And we also know that it's right in some organizations mm. the the what is rife is the covering up of, of what's occurring so then it means that members can't properly report it or they do report it then there's a supposed investigation and then nothing comes out of it that member is not suspended that yeah. member is not removed they're mm. not removed from their positions of power over other members mm. and I think there's a lot of correlation between exactly what's been happening in the academy and what happens in the left in general. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Anyone else have any mm. On a slightly lighter but also troubling note, um, the Star Observer wrote um, an article with the headline, It's a war on bottoms, in inverted commas. Poppers may soon be banned in Australia pending a TGA decision. So, like, pop is also known as amyl, um, is a muscle relaxant that helps with, like, sort of butt, butt sex. So, um, like, the, the therapeutic, therapeutic goods association are planning on banning it. Um, and I thought it was just a pretty good headline and article. And I, I suppose it touches on a lot of things to do with queerness and different drugs and sex as well. Mm. Now they said in the article why they want to ban it. Um, this I suppose the article sort of like took apart like the reasons why banning it, but there was some some of the reasons for banning it were because they put in little like deterrents to taking it that act- that because of they're trying so they're putting in things that don't actually need to be in it that, that can make it a bit more oh, right, yeah. dangerous. So it's kind of yeah. Yeah, so they're banning it on sort of like dangerous sort of... Right. I mean, it's not going to stop anyone from using it. <laughs> it just makes it harder, doesn't it? To... It just puts it on the black market, yeah. yeah. Another, I mean, people won't stop using it, they'll just get it from somewhere else. True. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what happens, isn't it? Exactly. 
So we're going to go to a song now, She Told Me by Erin Will Be Mad. So now we're going to be having a big discussion around care, family, community, singledom and coupledom. And I'd just like to start with a general question about what aspects of yourself and upbringing influence how you see friendship, coupledom, singledom and community. Do you want to start, Tracy? Uh, no. Oh, do you want me? This other Tracy? I can yeah, have some comments to make. It's Tracy. It's Tracy. I'll go with Tracy Fan. That's easy. Um, around, yeah, it's quite interesting, hey, because I feel like um, the world, or at least Melbourne, is really couple centric. Mm. Uh, even in some, sometimes in queer spaces, mm. but I feel maybe not so much. Uh, and then. But I'm not, I guess, it. yeah, it never, it's not something that interests me. So it's kind of, it's kind of fun to watch because I'm watching other people do their couple thing and I'm like, ooh, ooh, what are you doing? Okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to ask this person if they want to go to this thing. And I'm like, oh, really? Can't you just do whatever you want? And then, but apparently not. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been in a relationship for a while, so... <laughs> I think I came um, from a pretty traditional um, background, as in, you know, kind of lower middle class, um, regional town, where pretty much all my friends were, their entire goal in life was to um, leave school, get a job, maybe, well, I won't list the jobs, but yeah. <laughs> um, get a job, get married, get a mortgage, have, have kids. Have a baby. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad. That's sarcasm that that didn't happen to me. <laughs> um, but I did, I, I came out of school and went to university and I, you know, I was kind of a serial monogamist for a while. I was pretty much in and out of um, relationships and I think that was very influenced by my upbringing. So it's since breaking up from the nine-year relationship that I had which was the longest one I had um, and rejoining the queer community because I was fairly separate from the queer community then that I've begun to really substantially rethink um, that whole model and how destructive it can be and how isolated you can be in these kind of yeah monogamous couple relationships um, and how many other models there are and I think the other thing is I've been influenced by I mean I've been an activist for a very long time for I don't know over two decades and looking at the models of relationships and kind of kinship and friendship that you form through social movements and through campaign activism and the kind Mm. of forms of labor and care that you show each other when you're involved particularly when you're involved in quite militant struggle but also like on picket lines and unions you know people coming and feeding each other and helping house each other or um so it's been through my activism that I've begun to kind of open up to look at other models of what relationships might be what mm. about yourself yeah <laughs> um wow I, I don't think I'm too different from you okay. I come from a very strict strict mm. plus plus um, uh-huh. <laughs> um we are raised or we believed to grow up and have kids and study and all that stuff and if you don't do as per you know directed you are banned or things like that or punished so 
relationships have been hard mm. um, because they have to approve of it. Mm. Mm. What kind and of punishments do you um, mean? Do you mean it's frowned upon, or uh, they'll, you know, they'll your family will disconnect from? Yeah, they can disconnect you. They yeah. can marry you off to their mm. preferred person. Right. Um, yeah, person of choosing. Right. And um, they can. There's also beating. Right. Yeah. yeah that's not good. Yeah. So that's mm. usually what happens. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, another thing I've been thinking about is loneliness um, and queerness, and wondering if anyone what you do to relieve feelings of loneliness or do you sit with them and is there a difference with the comfort of being alone and the sort of like agony of loneliness or not having your social needs sort of met that's pretty heavy hey? <laughs> <laughs> i have struggled with that ever since i came to australia actually mm. oh, um, no. i feel like sometimes i'm not sure what i should be afraid of most is it race or sexuality mm. or you know um yeah so it's it's worked on me a lot so i don't know how mm. you know australians what, um, or people that have lived here for all their lives yeah. deal with it yeah do you yeah do you find things that help i know you got involved went to bridge mills and stuff is that like a helpful yeah um yeah i did after my counselor actually recommended mm. me to go there and i for the first time i felt wanted or you know loved i felt like okay there's people out there who are probably like me and want to be like me and um so it, it really helped me because i was really depressed and i didn't even know how to sometimes depression mm. is really different for everyone yeah. um we have this mentality that oh depression depression is meant to be you're supposed to be um crying or not eating or but it could be in all various ways and forms because some of us have been trained to suck in the pain and not release it so yeah yeah definitely mm. Mm. yeah and bridge meals What's Bridge Mills for people who don't know that, mm. listeners? Oh, yeah. Um, Bridge Mills is a, a group of colour, people of mm -hmm. colour. So we get together once a month to share meals and oh. uh, talk and, uh, you know, talk with each other and, you know, um, engage. And, yeah. Is it a, a predominantly queer Yes, group? it is. Oh, yes. that's yeah, nice. Yeah, I should join that. <laughs> it's so good and fun. We love each other. We oh, love that's family. Really sweet. Yeah, well, I think that's some something that's quite good about Melbourne is there's lots of groups, mm. um, and there's groups for everyone. Mm. And like, I guess growing up queer, I was really like, lonely as a kid, but then I just um, started going to different queer activities and meeting lots of different people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I mean, in terms of that whole, the difference between being alone and loneliness. I mean, that's a, that's kind of like the eternal <laughs> existential friggin' crisis of being human. I think to yeah. some extent, which is not to be flippant about it, because I think it's a really important question as well. Mm. And I think, for me, um, 
I, I've kind of consciously tried to learn to be alone and comfortable in being alone mm. since having been a reformed serial monogamist <laughs> <laughs> because I've, I feel like then there's so much more opportunity to kind of work out what are the, like consciously, what are the kinds of relationships that I want to build and yeah. what do they look like? Um, and that's work. It's work. It's not easy, but I think it's kind of really, I don't know, positive and change-making work. Um, so everything from forming like queer choir last year during the marriage equality mm. survey just so that a bunch of us could get together and sing while we're dealing with the um transphobia and homophobia and biphobia um or having friends around for dinner or you know and just constantly doing the work of maintaining those friendships and networks which doesn't mean it's always easy and often it's it's not easy because we're all working in precarious mm. work um, I mean, that's very common in the queer community and I imagine it's particularly common in um, it, amongst queers who are people of colour as well, um, you know, dealing, having to deal with cuts to social services, um, which puts more um, kind of labour onto struggling communities to do the work of care because we can't access the normal sort services that we might have been able to in the past. But in addition to that, going between, you know, precarious jobs, precarious housing. Um, I mean, share housing can be wonderful. It can also be extremely stressful because often we're moving, we're sharing housing, not because we're trying to create a conscious community, mm. but because we have to financially. And so, yeah, I think yeah. it's... In that regard, I just want to say thank you to my family out there. <laughs> they might be listening, but um, so these people, they are the best humans I've ever met. They took me in and they love me and I've never had to be homeless or things yeah. like that, which is a very big deal um, in the queer community. Like there's so many homelessness mm. and, mm. you know, things like that. And that is why I really, really appreciate them. So yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, t yeah, touching on these issues, how do you, you um Tracy, how do you how is yeah, how has um your relationship sort of affected your housing in any way? Any mm. relationships or S just general or I mean, I've never lived with anyone I've been in the relationship with mm. I've stayed over that house for months at a yeah. time but um and that was kind of I don't know I think it is kind of hard for me it's harder to be in a in a couple what do you call it in a relate a serious a a, yeah. as a couple because I'm like okay I spend all my time with this person mm. that's one person but then mm. I've got no time for anyone else and then I forget yeah. that I have other stuff. And then if, when or if or whatever, we break up, it's like, hmm. You have to catch up. Yeah, I have to find, like, I guess people have to move out of their housing if mm. they're living together. And it's like, oh, well, you have to find yeah. the right support network yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, yeah, I, I find, yeah, I find it pretty easy to find um, housing amongst the queer, queer friends as a single person because you just... You, know, you always have a friend mm. who knows somewhere. Yeah, I yeah. I guess on that, 
That's something, yeah, I kind of worry about because I kind of find it hard to get housing because I generally have underemployed or can't work that much and and that affects that and a lot of the queer community just won't has like internalized a lot of trans misogyny and I'm not going to be in any of those houses mm. right so yeah so they're like just worry about yeah like have like jumping from share house to share house and I wish there was a way that like people can more intentionally I know like there are like people that do want to intentionally like live together but I think like there's a lot of emphasis on your time and intention going to like aspiring to particular relationships and less on like like maybe sharing a house with friends and I wish like there was more of that um yeah yeah I reckon that's a really nice way to to live like yeah, to have, same. like yeah exactly to have friends that you that can understand you and sh- share um but it, at the same time, I did find living with people really difficult. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Even my friends, it was less yeah. difficult with friends. But I guess with like being in a couple, you kind of expect it to be sort of hard or whatever. Sort of hard, you have communication issues. And I guess you have that with friendships as well. But you, yeah. you kind of just give up on your... Like, not that you should give up on your friends, but some... Times you get to a point in a friendship where I'm like, oh, it's too hard to communicate with this person. I'm yeah. not going to bother. Whereas I guess in, in a couple, you're just like, oh, we'll just go mm-hmm. to therapy or something. It should be th- friends therapy or house housemate therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I also think um, for me, I'm constantly trying to, again, be conscious of what kinds of friendships or relationships in that broad sense of the term I'm trying to build because there are friends that I don't think I could live with and there are people that I may not necessarily be friends with that I think we would be awesome living together because we have similar styles of kind Mm. of homemaking Um, and I've had some incredibly beautiful share housing experiences for example living with a friend um, that I met through roller derby and um, her partner and they had a kid and so I kind of became like the third carer in the home and used to um, walk him to school and I was the third on the list for emergency um, contacts and that was really beautiful and that was at Mm. a stage when I was going through um, IVF treatment. I was trying to um, get pregnant. I was trying to have a child actually, not just get pregnant, but um, on my own to be a single mother of choice by choice. Um, And so it was really lovely to have that experience of living. Mm. I mean, that's the other thing that I think that we're missing out on in the the kind of dominant models of how we should live Mm. and dominant models of families is that lack of intergenerational connection Um, living with you know our older generations of activists who can teach us so much and then also living with children um, or younger activists um, in my case being 45 I can say younger (laughs) Um, yeah and I think there are so many different models of living and forming relationships and um, I mean while we live in a society where it's really like all of these things are also really difficult and I think we need to acknowledge that economically they're diff- difficult because of lack of income and instability of housing because of our terrible friggin' tenancy, lack of tenancy rights. Mm. Um, we can only kind of muddle along as well. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we can only think through these things 
and how they are and what our like what our relationships are with the different friends in our lives and so I mean I've chosen to live on my own for a while which has been really good for me I needed to um, I was assaulted in one of my share houses and I just needed mm. time out on my own. But I'm also trying to, even though I'm living on my own, I'm living in a block of flats and I'm trying to build connections with my neighbours and so neighbours will look after my cat and vice versa. I've got their spare key and trying to also bring friends into my home um, so that it becomes a place that they can come and stay and crash as well. So sharing in that way. But, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. Do you find um, sometimes – do you find it hard sometimes to open up to certain people as well? Um, I do now. Yeah. I, yeah my boundaries yeah. are now pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> I get <you. laughs> um, But – that's where my friendship networks are so important because a lot of my friends, they're tested over years yeah. and they're the people that I really, um, you know, I can have gained trust in them because we've gone through things together. We've had disagreements. One or either of us has had hardships. We've been there for each other and that's when you get to really test um, is this a strong friendship or True. not and how much can I yeah. um, rely on. Yeah. Um, but yes, definitely. I think I used to be, especially in my younger years, when I first discovered activism and the left, I was so excited because I was like, I found my people. <laughs> and then I was just really naive. Mm. You know, as we mentioned earlier, there are still, um, you know, there are abusive people yeah. or people who are abusive because, you know, there's a difference. Sometimes mm. people are just abusive, narcissistic assholes. And then sometimes people under shit circumstances become shit people. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I've I've learnt the hard way. Mm. So now I'm very careful. I'm like not many people know exactly where I live. Yeah, and if you know where I live, that means that I trust you to some extent. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's funny betrayal. This I read somewhere, and I always do all the time. Agree with it all the time. Um, that betrayal comes from you know your friends. It doesn't even come from your enemies. You know. Yeah, because in order yeah. to betray someone, yeah. there they has to have to. been a trust in the first place. Correct. Yeah, mm. totally. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't expect someone like Scott Morrison <laughs> to be a decent human being ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, no betrayal there. There's no betrayal. Wow. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, yeah, I totally agree. Mm. Yeah, speaking of betrayal, um, <laughs> a queer band in Melbourne called Cystic Nightmare wrote a song... The chorus sort of sings about friends that they don't see when they have a partner. Oh, no. Have you personally experienced yeah. this? Oh, yes. no. This is like... <laughs> it's heartbreaking. I can't even... I've been to therapy for a few years. I haven't even gotten to this topic yet because this is like the my worst... The wor like, I get so upset when this happens and I get so like, um, like really bitter to that friends mm. and obviously they'll break up. Well, not obviously, but sometimes most, they'll break most up. Most relationships end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll break up and then suddenly they're like, oh, what are you doing this Friday? And I'm just like still so bitter about it. I'm like, no, I don't want to be your five-minute friend. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just I get so mad about people like that. But at the same, same. time, I mean, yeah, like what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do. Like if that's mm. that person and they prefer their – romantic relationships above uh friendships mm. then i can't 
I can't force them to be my friend. Yeah. Do you believe that there's a difference between friendship and loyalty? So not all not all friends are loyal. Like you don't well, how do I put it? Um it doesn't mean if they're your friend they'll be loyal or that loyal people mm. are your friend. Right. Mm. I think that, yeah, I think that's again because it's different forms of friendship. So there are people that I have a particular friendship with. Yeah. And I would trust them 100% for particular things, but I wouldn't necessarily for something else. So I might, we might do something together and we're really close in that doing something together, but I might not necessarily call them at midnight if I was injured and needed help, for example. And then there are others who are the, who are the opposite or different to that as well yeah as in um, you don't see them much but you know you can rely on yeah. them. Yes. Yes. yes even yeah. some of my school friends because there was a bunch of oh. us who were kind of the odd bunch of kind of it was weird it was like queers nerds and <laughs> born again christians <laughs> born again we were christians. Kind of, yeah wow. no, but we were kind Scott of Morrison. the teased Scott Morrison's. <laughs> no none of them <laughs> um um, but we were kind of the kids who were teased by everyone else. Do you know what I mean? We didn't oh. fit into the <laughs> yeah. dominant model of what it was meant, what you should be. So we, so I'm still friends with them, and there are some of them, like especially some of the born again Christian friends. Of course, there are certain things I would not trust them with, <laughs> but there are some things I hundred percent would, and vice versa. Right. And it's you know, and because I've known them now for what thirty years, that's a pretty strong sense of loyalty on particular mm. things like if I was injured or I really needed some help they would be there 100% even if even though some of them don't like my inverted commas <laughs> queer lifestyle <laughs> yeah but they oh, you know that's nice that they're yeah. still loyal yeah I don't know despite having I guess yeah lifestyle clashes <laughs> How about you, Iris? Have you had the experience of friends? What was the question? Friends who then become distant during relationships or couple when they couple up? Yes, I don't think I've had like the absolute like like the absolute complete drop off. But yes, I have had this, and I have had friends that just hit you up when you know they're just and they like haven't mm. responded to all your other messages and now they've broken up and they hit you up and it's just like what do you do then do you go okay well here's a new page and try again I've done that I'm like mm. okay maybe next time they'll be better no nah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. I discuss it with them if it's bad enough oh yeah I suppose it's something to be brought up I think it's a it's a social thing. It's different social norms, different communities. Mm-hmm. I suppose different communities have a lot more sort of um, interdependence is valued a lot more in different communities. I think, yeah, I suppose like when my I was raised in a very Anglo white um, family and we like interdependence is only seen in that unit. So it's like outside that unit, it's and sometimes like friendships, like, I suppose this is, yeah, I suppose some people have commented that a lot of this is related to different norms and related to race and gender and sexuality and class and how they interlink in terms of how people are interdependent or more independent, which is a kind of BS thing because no one's really independent. You're just kind Mm. of exploiting or using your power over to get your needs met Mm. rather than like relying on an interdependence really. 
Yeah, rather than relying on a form of reciprocity. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. you grew up in a family that was yeah quite independent. You didn't have a wider kind of community that your family like with the white like I guess wider mm. relatives or. Well, I suppose like there is the extended family you see like once or twice a year in terms of me growing up. I suppose the other thing with me growing up is I. I was very weird growing up. Like my mum would say, I had no concept of friendship. I didn't really have any friends, and I didn't really fit in anywhere. So I go. I guess I got used to like loneliness, and I, it was okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't have many. I didn't really have any friends till I was about twenty something. Yeah. Twenty something. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, can relate hard. to that. Yeah. Um, but now my family's. Yeah, I guess we were talking about this in the break, whether whether it's a Anglo thing or a different thing. But mm. My family, the on one side is really broken up, and on the other side, we're super close. Like I hang out with my aunts all the yeah. time. They, I consider them my best friends. Mm. Like I would go, oh, here's my best friend, <laughs> and it's really great to have that um, with them. So I, I guess, yeah, I guess if we're talking about the interpersonal stuff, mm. it's it's it. Yeah, luckily for me. Um, grateful that I have like a wider it's like a wider family net that's not not just four people oh not four people but you know the general model Mm. the nuclear family Mm. yeah yeah. I mean yeah I mean I'm thinking my mum actually had some really close friendships when I was growing up so I'm kind of thinking now that that actually might have been a model for how I see friendships now and I mean mum was so close to one of her friends that she kind of jokes how and I was I I did point out (laughs) to my mum that was a bit queer phobic to think that this was funny but she was when she took her friend to the hospital um, they asked if they were a couple because they were obviously so super Mm. caring about each other Um, so mum has always had and I think that's because she emigrated here when she was 16 Mm. with just her mum she was one of the 10 pound ticket bombs and so she had to really quickly consciously build friendships and new relationships and networks um, because otherwise you just don't you don't survive Mm. Um, yeah so, and also in my friendship networks, I mean, we have a group called our Quamly, which is <laughs> queer family. <That's> <laughs> <laughs> and we decided to give it a name because we were, we're so connected. Um, and one of the, and there's also couples within that Quamly. So there's six of us. So there's singles and couples. Um, um, and one of the couples has also just had a queer baby. Um, so, well, as in, Yeah. I don't know, but queer, we don't know. They had a baby, and the yeah, baby may we don't or may know not be the baby. <laughs> but the baby's going to be part of the queer community, regardless of what their yeah, sexuality exactly. is. Um, and so, um, and we're now as a family kind of working out those changing dynamics as well. Like, how much do we each provide care to the new baby, oh. and how do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how how can we rethink mm. those relationships? And I've had some experience doing that because I'm an aunt to friends' kids and also to my sister's child, my niece, um, and I looked after her 
um, a day a week for the last four years. So I have a very close bond with her. We both like cry sometimes <laughs> when we have to separate. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting looking at all those different ways that you can kind of create different kinds of bonds. But also because it's new, like we don't really have models. There's no models the same mm. way. So it's... It's a constant conscious kind of activity and adjustment. And like my niece started school this year, which required a massive adjustment on all of our parts, but including my own, even as an aunt. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Tracy? What are your What are some of your connections? And um, yeah, um, because I have two different connect. Um, so I. I have a different connection back at home. Yeah. Whereas here. But right. here um, in Australia, I live with this couple that has a daughter. Okay. And she's like, my daughter. Well, she is my Aww. daughter. And she's like, <laughs> so she's the best. But I have also adopted um, two kids in my um, country. Okay. So um, one of them is a girl, and, well, and a boy. Yep. And the, the boy is currently very ill um oh, he no. lost his mom to um hiv so oh. yeah he's he's um he's my little boy oh. but yeah so we're taking care of him i'm having help obviously yeah and um yeah yeah well. he's eight mm. months old now his mom died uh when he was a month old so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, did you know that family? Yeah, my or? aunt is right. his mom. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah that... Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, he's my cousin mm. by blood. But, yeah. But, but, yeah. Yeah. But, he's my, yeah, he's yeah. a little baby now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that must be complicated managing kind of international relationships yeah. as well. It's very hard, but I have to do what I have to do. Mm. Yeah. It's the only, yeah, and and I'm the only one that can do it. So, yeah, mm. yeah, and I was very close with her, his mom, so that's why I took yeah, on yeah. the responsibility. Mm. Yeah. Yes, and you're tuning to Queen Yeah on Three CR Community Radio. If you've just tuned in, and I'm Iris, joined in the studio with Tracy, Polly, and Tracy, and we're like towards the end of our show now. So, um. Yes, that went very fast. Um, and I'm just going to ask a closing question on what is something that really irks you around the expectations around singledom, coupledom, friendship? And you can make a, a short comment on that. And the second is, what was one thing you'd like to see change? I reckon Polly should go first. Um, I'm actually just going to answer the second question. Um, What I would like to see transformed is that um, the entire systems, social systems of support were kind Mm. of rebuilt um, and in ways that didn't assume a priority over particular forms of relationships. For example, the nuclear family with the mother and father. Um, (laughs) But, you know we could access support and services no matter what our relationships were and that we had rights in, you know, recognised rights in those relationships no matter what form they took. So that's what I would like to see. I mean, the thing that irks me most is, I guess, what I was bitching about earlier, which is when people 
um, like hierarchies of mm. yeah. um, relationships and people, yeah, I guess actively putting some some relationships above others, yeah. like friendships or yeah. with them. But in a very almost like I know people don't do it in a menacing way, but it comes across quite menacing when you're mm. single. It's really exactly. discriminatory. Yeah. It's discriminatory. It is, it is discriminatory. There's a really good book called Singled Out by Bella DePolo that Ooh, talks I need to oh. read that. about yeah, singleism in terms of discrimination against I guess, singles. What do you do? There's nothing you can do. You're like, okay, no, I'm like going to find else. another friend. It's like or, everything else. Yeah. You, just const- you try and raise it and you keep maintaining positive connection. <laughs> Um, I actually forgot the question. <laughs> 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 uh, what is one thing that irks you around expectations around singledom, coupledom, and friendship? And what would you like to see change? Those um, sort of two? Personally, I will talk about the immigration mm. and, um, yeah. you know, when it comes to queer people or anything around that. Um, they have this tendency that. Um, anyone that's queer has to have a relationship and yeah. they i feel oh, like they yeah. do not totally. understand that this can it's not just queer people that can be single yeah. sorry only straight, straight people, people that can be single yeah. right but yeah. queer people can be single too because we also have relationship issues yeah. so <laughs> i mean i have Surprise. so much drama yeah, me too. around that but yeah so um so most of the time they they judge you or they conclude mm. a case because of the fact that you're mm. probably not in a relationship, so you're probably not eligible to be. Yeah. You're not queer enough, yeah. just because mm. you're not in a relationship. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not yeah, good. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So discriminatory. It's discrimination. Mm. <laughs> you, can, you can't migrate with a, a friend. You can only migrate if you fit into like the norms of a married like relationship or something. Yeah. All these borders. Um, so we've reached the end of our show today. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.